Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws, your host. Thanks for the download today. If you are a regular subscriber, thank you for returning. And if this is your first time, welcome. You're going to love this episode. This show is brought to you by Zenium HR. Zenium is supporting small and medium-sized companies all over the nation with their people practices. So payroll, HR, compensation strategy, training and development, and a lot more. And Zenium does these things so that they can focus, these organizations can focus on growing their organization. Learn more about Zenium at ZeniumHR.com. Okay, this one, this episode is exciting to me for a couple reasons. One, I'm just passionate about the subject. Uh, We tackle the topic of busyness. So if you ever ask somebody the question, how are you doing today? And they respond with, great, I'm so busy. As if that's a good thing. And Garland Vance, he's the author of a book called Getting Unbusy, Five Steps to Kill Busyness and Live with Purpose, Productivity, and Peace. So he makes the argument that this culture of busyness is not good. It's unhealthy. Uh, I tend to agree with him, which is why I have him on the show. And we just hash this out. Like, what? why do we find busyness sexy? Why is it in our culture? And what do we do about it once we recognize that it's actually killing us? So... Enjoy the episode. You're going to love this one. I know I did. Have a great day and we'll talk to you next week. We got lots of good stuff coming. We're going to have an internal interview next week with Lacey Partipillo. So make sure to tune in for that one. Take care. Garland, it is a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on. Brandon, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to know what your story is. How did you come to write a book on busyness? What happened in your life? Yeah, so it, it started Yeah, started back in 2013. Uh, I was uh, going to the doctor with all of these health problems. And so I sat down with my doctor and I exercised every day. I was eating healthy. You know, I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. And I showed up and I said, doctor, I've got all these problems. I'm, I'm having chronic migraine headaches, like two or three migraine headaches a week. And, and I'm having heart palpitations where I'll sit at my desk and all of a sudden my heart will just start racing and mm. having like extreme forgetfulness and, and exhaustion. I wake up exhausted. I go to bed exhausted. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just tired all the time. And my doctor said, Garland, this sounds really concerning. Tell me about your life. And I said, oh, I've got a good life. It's just really busy, right? Which, Brandon, <laughs> that's what all of us say the time, right? Like somebody asks us how we're doing and we just say, oh, I'm good. I'm just so busy. I said, so doc, I've got a good life. It's just really busy. And he said, well, tell me what busy means. And I said, well, I work uh, 50 to 60 hours a week with this nonprofit that I love as a director of it. And I spend 10 to 20 hours a week working on my doctorate in leadership. And I've got three young kids, my wife and I do. And so they're involved in the community and, and uh, you know, just involved in things that they're getting into. And I am helping our church develop this leadership development program and, you know, all of these things. It's good. It's just really busy. Oh, you know, I travel 60 days a year 
things like that. It's a good life. It's just really busy. And my doctor looked at me and told me he was concerned for my life. Mm. And he told me that what was doing damage to me was the stress that I was going through because of how busy I was. And I didn't at first believe him. And so I decided to focus the rest of my doctoral research on finding out what is busyness? What's it doing? What's it doing to leaders? What's it doing to organizations? And is it really as great as everybody seems to think it is? Right. It's crazy because your story, I know people are going to resonate with it. It's unique in, in the little pieces that are unique to you, but it's not a unique story. I think there's a lot of people out there in the corporate world that feel this way. And here's a few quotes that I took from your book. So in one form or another, people are saying things like this. I'd love to stop being so busy, but I'm too busy to slow down. They say, when I'm home, I feel guilty for not being at work. And when I stay late to work, I feel guilty for not being at home. So it's kind of a paradoxical situation there. And then in response to the question, how are you? They say, I'm good. I'm so busy. As if that's like a good thing. So my question to you, Garland, is why are these statements so normalized? It doesn't seem healthy to me. And I want to know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I think that, you know, decades ago, success equaled how in demand you were. And so, you know, whether it was big leaders like the Lee Iacocas of the day or, you know, the Walt Disney's of the world, success equaled being busy and being in demand. And so what happened as a culture is that we began to rise to meet that level of busyness. And there's all these other things that are, of course, going on at the same time, like, like technology is making our lives easier, but instead of spending less time working, we kind of begin saying we should spend more time working. And then we have technology that introduces email and gives us smartphones so that we can be connected 24 hours a day. So I think we live in this time where the view of success as busyness, the technology has all converged, and it's put us in this place where we not only think that being busy is a good thing, but we believe that when we're not busy, that something is intrinsically wrong with us. Yeah. That was my one of my biggest takeaways from the book there was like, we all feel like if there's any sort of like pause, we feel like we have to be doing something. I mean, I feel that way. And is it is it an internal thing? Is it is it just part of the culture? Like, what do you think it is? Yeah. So I, th- I think it's a number of things. One of them are the beliefs that kind of drive this. So I find um, in the research that there's three, uh, what I call inhibiting beliefs that keep people trapped in busyness. And it's, I need to be more I need to do more and I need to get more. Um, so I need to be more. You know, we we look at ourselves and we go, I'm not a good enough leader or I'm not a good enough parent or I'm not in good enough shape. And we kind of compare ourselves against the version of ourselves that we think we should be. And as soon as we begin doing that, the only answer we typically come to is if I'm not good enough here, it means I need to do more. So these these inhibiting beliefs of I need to do more, I need to be more, I need to get more, really drive us into this nonstop culture of being busy, of feeling like we have to be productive all the time. But as a result of it, we're doing massive damage to ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, even in our productivity and in our companies, our organizational life. It's just massive damage we're doing to ourselves because we're not giving ourselves 
any freedom to slow down. So if, you know, if we're all moving fast and furious and we overcommit to things, then isn't busyness just a time management issue? If we just time management our, our calendar and, and fix some of those things, we'd probably just fix it all, right? Well, you know, that's funny. That's what I thought in the beginning is I thought yeah, right. busyness is a time management issue. But here was the problem for me is I had read over 300 books and articles on time management by the time I got around to being diagnosed with busyness. Like I was teaching time management at my organization and had been told by HR that I was in the top 1% of productivity for the entire organization that I was working with. So I knew a ton about time management. So most of us think, oh yeah, I just need to manage my time better. But the problem is busyness isn't a calendar issue. It's a capacity issue. Right. And what I mean by that is we are trying to stuff you know, 28 hours a day of work into 24 hours a day and at least eight hours of that aren't even supposed to be productive. They're supposed to be sleeping, you know? So we're trying to stuff, the way that my grandmother would say it when I was growing up is she would say, boy, you're trying to stuff 15 pounds of potatoes in a 10 pound sack. And that's what busyness is, is it's this attempt to overcommit our lives. And we have so many good commitments that they end up creating a bad life. It's interesting because you said that busyness is like hoarding, so maybe make that comparison a little bit more. I thought that was a really interesting analogy. Yeah. So when I was working on researching this, I ended up um, watching a television show about hoarding. And there were really two things that, that stood out. The first is that, that hoarders don't see their own mess. You know, they, they kind of, they think that they're collecting all of this good stuff and they're holding on to it just in case, you know, something happens or just in case that they, they need it. And what I discovered it is that busyness is a form of hoarding. It's really where we try to cram more into life in order to get more out of life. But just like a hoarder, the more they cram into their house, the less they can actually enjoy the house that they live in. The second thing that I, I noticed is that hoarders had to go through a very specific process. Uh, first, they had to decide that there was too much in their house. Then they had to get help to drag everything out of the house. And as they did that, then they would, you know, really create, with the help of somebody, create the house that they wanted to live in. They would say, these are the five things that are really important to me to keep, and I have to throw the rest away. And then they would begin moving back in and implementing this new way of living. And then finally, they were at the place where they could draw other people into the house and invite them over for dinner or things like that. And it's the same with busyness. There's five steps that you go through. First, you decide that busyness isn't worth it. Then you deconstruct some of the habits and beliefs and commitments that keep you stuck in busyness. Then you design the life that you actually want to live. Then you begin to develop that life and it implements into your calendar and into your mindset. And then finally, you begin to draw others into unbusyness with you. So hoarding and busyness are very 
very similar. My favorite quote of your book is you said, busy organizations are full of disengaged zombies, end quote. And it's just so funny because, you know, oftentimes, and this is not just, you know, my experience, but I just hear this from people. People are running from one thing to the next. They overcommit. They forget deadlines. They, I mean, it's just the list goes on, right? And then they take it home with them. And then it just, it works both ways. I mean, explain what's happening culturally in in our corporate environment and i guess really anywhere yeah yeah it it really is everywhere and i th- i think companies are just an overflow of this whole busy culture that that we're experiencing so i call them disengaged zombies because a zombie is essentially their body has been completely destroyed they're they're almost brainless in some ways and they're just walking around trying to get their next fix and what happens with busyness, the research shows that busyness is destroying our bodies. Like it releases so much adrenaline and cortisol that over time it does massive damage to our bodies. It does massive damage to our brains. Busyness keeps us distracted. It prevents us from being able to focus on what's really most important to us. It's hurting us relationally. And yet there's this addiction to busyness, just like zombies have an addiction to brains. You know, there's just this addiction to busyness where we're walking around trying to get the next fix of the commitment that we need to do. And and so all of that leads us to to disengage. We resent our organization for how much they demand from us. It lowers life satisfaction. And I was one of these people for years. So I, I say this with, you know, with absolute love in my heart, but we're walking around with dead bodies and, and dead brains and dead emotions. And we don't care about life and we don't care about the work that we're doing. And yet we just keep getting up and doing it day in and day out. There's a quote that you had in your book. It's from Tim Kreider, I believe. And it just resonated with me on so many levels um, and why people get wrapped up in being busy. And I personally felt this one um, punched me right in the stomach. He says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. So, you know, that's in quote. So with that being said, why is busyness such a, like an identity issue? Yeah, that quote absolutely nails it on the head. And I'll tell you, that one punched me in the stomach when I read it. And then every time I would write it down, I'd be like, oh gosh, that that's so true. When people ask you, you know, how are you doing? And we say, I'm so busy. I think what we're trying to do is say, my life is really important right? My life is filled with meaning. Even though I can't slow down enough to tell you what it is, and even though I'm exhausted all the time, like we're trying to portray that our lives have meaning and and significance. And it ends up being kind of this backwards way of thinking because what ends up happening is the faster we go and the busier we are, the less we actually have time to build meaning into our lives the less we have time to enjoy the significant moments and the significant people in our lives. And so the only way that we can feel significant is to then say, look at how full my calendar is. Look at how in demand I am, like that quote said. And and that's what ends up being our, our line of significance. 
You mentioned the five steps to getting unbusy. And in that step number two, which I think is an important step, it's deconstructing your busyness. Give me an example of some, maybe your uh, personal story for you where you just realize you're so busy. How would you go about deconstructing that? I think the listeners would really val- give value from that. Sure. So there are uh, there are three areas that you've got to deconstruct. Uh, first is inhibiting beliefs. Second is bad habits. And then the, the third is unwanted commitments. What I found is that the belief part is really important. And we touched on that a little bit already that it's, I need to be more, I need to do more, I need to get more and, and really beginning to deconstruct some of that. What I found is that most people have at least five to 10 hours per week of commitments in their life that they're not thrilled with. They don't want to be involved with, and they got involved with them and they just haven't figured out how to, to get out of them. So, so I actually take people through an exercise uh, called the commit to uncommit exercise where you write down all of your commitments. That's step one, right? You, you actually go through and list out, here's the meetings that I go into. And then in the second step, you write down how much time each of those commitments takes. Now, this takes a while to do, but as you do it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I have so much that's going on. How in the world am I managing all of this? Um, so you write down all your commitments, how much time it takes, and then you put one of three faces besides that, right? You put a happy face, which I call your yeah face. It's, I love this commitment. It brings me energy and joy. I feel more alive when I do it. Then you put down a sad face, and I call this the nah face. And the nah face is, nah, I don't really love this. It sucks the life out of me. Um, I hate doing it. And then in the middle, there's this, this meh face, you know, of uh, just a straight line mouth that says, um, it doesn't give me energy and it doesn't drain energy. This commitment just exists. And if we can begin to look at those, those meh commitments and those nah commitments, so you know, the straight face and the sad face, if we can begin to look at those commitments and go, which of these commitments can I get rid of? Which of these commitments could I delegate to somebody else if I have people who report to me? Which of these commitments could I negotiate uh, with somebody else and get them to help me out with? And I'll do something I love and they'll do something you know they love. And if you can begin to think in terms of, of that, of delete them, delegate them, or negotiate them, then most people can deconstruct five to 10 hours a week of commitments from their lives just by doing that little exercise. I love that exercise for removing commitments that exist. What about the commitments that come up? So like somebody says, Hey, you'd be a great addition to our board. Can you do it? Like you say default to no, but how do you go about doing that? I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. So, so I have this as part of the bad habits, it's called default to no and defend your yes. And so part of it understanding is that most of us default to yes. When somebody asks us to do something, it's almost like this reflex where we automatically say, sure, I'll do that. And we don't even think about it. And I want you to switch the way that you think. First, you default to no. You make no the first answer that you say, because no is a complete sentence. But you also have to have a a strong yes, and you defend your yes. And what I mean by that is you take time to actually think through is this a commitment that I want? So a strong yes has three characteristics to it. The first is that it's slow. So you can say, hey, can I have 24 to 48 hours to think about this commitment before I give you an answer? So just by doing that, you're creating a little bit of space and you're letting the person know that you value this decision so much that you want to 
think through it. So you you slow down your yes. The second thing that you do is you create what I call a careful yes. And a careful yes means that you actually think about the ripple effect that's going to take place if you say yes to this. You know, my kid came to me probably two years ago. My youngest kid came and said, Dad, I'd like to take karate. I was super excited for him to be able to do this, but I also wanted him to think through the ripple effect that this would have of doing karate practice uh, two times a week. And that would mean that um, he had to eat dinner a little bit earlier and that we would be out a couple times and that here's the effect on our gas budget. Not that he needed to think about that, but here's going to be the effect on our gas budget. And I just wanted him and I and our whole family to really think through together exactly what it meant to say yes to this one commitment. And we ended up saying yes to it, but we had to move some things around. And that's the third part of a, of a really strong yes, is you get rid of things before you add them in. So you subtract before you add. Those little areas, just if you slow down, if you think through the ripple effect, and if you subtract before you add, allows you to kind of get to the place where busyness isn't entering into your life again. You've got some strong boundaries that keep you from building those. One of the things I found really useful is you were talking about designing space into our everyday lives, whether it's at work or at home. And I think you probably meant calendar. You probably meant uh, just open space to just take a nap if you want to. Or like, what, what do you think about designing space? What does that look like? And how do you do it? Yeah, well, what I found is the average people leader is interrupted about two hours a day. So, I mean, you know, whether that's email, whether that's somebody knocking on the office door or saying, you know, hey, can I chat with you for a couple of minutes or pinging you on text message, the average leader is interrupted about two hours a day. So the first thing that creating space means is that you probably need two hours of white space on your calendar every day just so you can keep up with demand. And then the other part that creating space means is building margin in your life. So creating 15-minute blocks. I mean, I remember when, when I was you know working for a company, one person would schedule a meeting that went from 1 until 2 p.m., and another person would schedule a meeting that started at 2 and went till 3. Well, that's impossible for me to finish one meeting at the exact same time that I'm beginning another meeting. And so we just started building margin in and saying, okay, all meetings are going to end on the 45 uh, mark of the hour. And that way we've got 15 minutes. If we're running a little bit late, no problem. That's, you know, that's not a big deal. We got 15 minutes of, of margin. And if we get finished on time, I've got time to decompress from that first meeting a little bit, to capture action items, to take a breath before I go into the next meeting. So when you begin to build margin into your life, it intentionally creates this ability to actually be more productive because I have time for my brain to rest, to reset, and then to move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think that's the thing that appeals to me is like, okay, when you get a chance to pause between meetings, you get actually a chance to kind of reset your brain a little bit. You probably think a lot clearly and you're not because you're not in zombie mode, as you were talking about earlier. It's you actually get a chance to just reset and just think clearly. And I think that's really beneficial from then moving from one thing to the next or overbooking yourself. So that's that's really important. Yeah, the the piece about 
building rest into your schedule. I thought that was really appealing. What does that look like for you personally? Yeah. So, so for me, the way that I built rest into my schedule is, so sleep is really important to me. So a couple of years ago, I just started doing uh, this kind of test. You know, I had heard you have to sleep eight hours a night, nine hours a night. And I was like, I've never been able to sleep that much. So is something wrong with me? That's so hard. Yeah. So I just started letting my body wake up when it wanted to. And in doing that, what I found is there's a specific amount of time that my body needs sleep. And if I get too much more than that or not enough of it, then I have a, a problem. So so rest for me is I'm very intentional to make sure I get the hours that I need of, of sleep every night because I paid attention to my body to know, you know how much it actually needs. The other part of that for me is, well, let me say it this way. I think TV gets a bad rap a lot of times. And, you know, people are like, you shouldn't mind, you know, you're wasting time, you're mindlessly watching it. I 100% disagree, at least from really? my own perspective. I have found that, one, my family loves watching television and talking about shows and immersing ourselves into stories. So for me, a lot of times rest is I'm snuggling up on the couch with my wife or with, with some of my kids, and we're watching something together, and we're talking about it afterwards and, and laughing about it. Um, so physical rest, that's one way to physically rest. And then another way for me, um, I'm giving you the whole buffet if that's okay, yep. is just getting up and walking around. Sometimes physical rest for me means I just need to get up and move and not be seated at my desk. Um, but rest in that case is very active. It's getting my body moving a little bit so that my mind can rest, my body can rest from the position it's been stuck in for a couple of hours. So Moving around is incredibly restful for me. You also suggest taking off a full 24 hours. Yes. Why is that a good idea? So in ancient traditions, they call this a Sabbath, right? It's where you take 24 hours and you completely disengage from work. And there's actually been a ton of research recently on the benefits of, of taking a Sabbath. The value of Sabbath is it gives our minds the ability to completely rest, to recover, to disengage, which actually drives creativity when we step back into it. Um, and just by doing things that you love to do on those, you know, those Sabbath days, or whatever you want to call them, you end up increasing your energy level. And energy, unlike time, is a completely renewable resource. We can eat good food that helps us re-energize. Um, but when we do things that we enjoy doing during these rest times, it gives us way more energy for the other six days of the week. What other habits can you think of that you know listeners can take um, that would help us develop a, a less busy mindset, a calendar, whatever it may be? Just the the habits that somebody can you know start adopting right away. I would suggest two, and I actually use these together. Uh, the first is a morning routine, and I think a lot of people talk about morning routines, but most people. When we're talking about morning routines, they're talking about how to be highly productive during your morning. Well, I've chosen instead of productivity, I want peace to be the focus of the morning routine. So when I wake up, I'm going to do things in the morning that help me center myself, that help me connect with what's really important in my life, but also just have a sense of peace. So I recommend that people have a buffet of 
items that they love to do. So for me, I, I love to read. Uh, I love to to walk. I love to meditate. Um, I love to drink a good cup of coffee. That one's non-negotiable. I always have to have my coffee. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. First thing in the morning. Um, but I have this buffet of items. I love to journal, but this buffet of items, and I don't do the same thing every day. I wake up and I let my body and my mind tell me what I want to do. And so this morning I woke up and I didn't journal at all, but I read for a really long time because that was what my body wanted to do. And tomorrow it'll be completely different. So use that buffet and pick things that bring peace and that bring rest to you. I'd say that's one super critical uh, habit to have. And the other that I use when I journal is I ask three questions every day that I think create a deep sense of peace. Uh, the first is, what did I accomplish yesterday? So just by writing out the answer to that question, I'm already triggering the part of my mind that feels like I've accomplished so much, right? So I look back and I'm like, oh, look what I did yesterday. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm starting over again today. The second question I ask is, what am I grateful for? So gratitude is incredibly energizing, gives a ton of productivity to you when you look back and you go, I'm thankful for these people. I'm thankful for these things. And then the last question I ask is, what would I do differently today than I did yesterday? And so that kind of lets me look at the game film of yesterday and say, hey, where did I mess up? Who do I need to apologize to? What things do I need to make right or make better? And so for me, that journaling habit has been really helpful just in answering those same three questions every day. Garland, I want to wrap up this discussion with with this because we have a lot of people leaders that are listening to this podcast and everything that you're doing People can do this individually, but what about people who have employees and they're wrapped up in this culture of busyness and they notice it? Are there tools, exercises? Is it a discussion? Like, what could people leaders do to help those that they recognize is they're just busy all the time and they're they're falling into this trap? Yeah, great question, Brandon. So the first thing I would say is make busy a bad word in your organization. <laughs> I love that. When you ask people how they're doing. If they say busy, you should be shocked and appalled, right? You know, it's like they they dropped the, as we call it in our family, it's the B word. So make busy a bad word. The second thing is helping your team develop really strong boundaries. And I think you need time boundaries and communication boundaries and maybe even some travel boundaries as we go back. So time boundaries means that as a boss, it is good for you to say, at this time in the evening, we stop talking to each other. We stop doing work. Like, Make it very clear that you stop doing work, that you're not going to be answering emails at seven o'clock at night. And so set a time so that everyone knows that work is supposed to stop at this point. And if somebody has an emergency, say, hey, it's okay. If you have an emergency, you just have to put emergency in front of the communication that you, you give. That really forces people to kind of take a step back and go, is this really all that important or can it wait until tomorrow? So you build a time boundary, build a communication boundary where you make it very clear what type of communication is okay for what type of uh, situation it is. Like if it's an emergency, maybe text messaging is absolutely important. But for most cases, email's fine, you know, or leave a voicemail. We'll get back around to it. Give your people permission to not react all the time to communication. And then finally, build travel boundaries. As we get back to, you know, going back into the world and traveling again, 
if people are traveling, give them the freedom to take time off when they're done. Um, I remember in my career earlier, I had traveled, I think, five straight nights in a row, and I got back, and I was expected to be at the office first thing. Oh my gosh. You know, and it was just one of those like, no, 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 no. Like they've sacrificed so much time when they travel. So give them time to recover, to recuperate, whether that's a comp time policy or whether it's just, you know, an under the table handshake kind of thing where you're like, Hey, take some time off, rest, recover, get balanced back into the other areas of your life and then come back. My guest today has been Garland Vance. Garland, you're the author of Getting Unbusy, Five Steps to Kill Busyness and Live with Purpose, Productivity, and Peace. I appreciate you coming on to the, the show. Where can people find you, uh, what you're up to, more about the book, anything that you want to point people to would be great. Yeah, I'd love to point people to uh, to two websites. The first is killbusy.com. And if you go to killbusy.com, you'll learn more about getting unbusy. But more importantly, you can sign up and I will give you the book for free and ship it to you if you'll just pay for the shipping and handling. I really want to get this book into the hands of leaders. Um, And so if you'll go there, you can get the book for free. Um, If you want to find out more about the coaching and the consulting and speaking that I offer, then go to advancedleadership.live. Advance doesn't have a D on it because my last name is Vance. So advancedleadership.live. And I'd love to, to connect with you there. Garland, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Brandon, thank you so much. 